Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, May 9th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. I have no voice. <clears throat> I've been sick. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult brain cancer survivor. Lisa Bernhard is on vacation. Uh, she will be calling in to say hello a little later on. She is a 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor. We are your hosts for tonight's Stupid Cancer Show. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. <clears throat> Tonight's show is all about cancer camps, retreats, adventure therapy, all the stuff you wish you knew about when you were sick but now know about, and we hope you can find out about when you're diagnosed. Coming up first, Dave Smith, young adult cancer advocate the CEO of Special Love in Virginia, really great organization. They help kids uh, birth to 17. Um, returning champion, my friend, the very tall Jeff Eaton from Canada. He's a two-time young adult survivor of AML, which is acute myeloid leukemia. He's the founder and executive director of Young Adult Cancer Canada. Yes, they get cancer in Canada, too. <coughs> Must be the uh, socialism. Anyway, as a reminder, this, uh, oh, and Anna Brower, I'm sorry, Anna Brower is on our, uh, our spotlight, a very special Anna Brower you spotlight tonight. You almost forgot about me now. Yeah, I'm, I'm coughing, I have issues tonight. Our survivor spot, spotlight, Anna Brower, is uh, incredibly special. In fact, this could be the single most important survivor spotlight in the history of the human race. That's a huge introduction. Am I making it up for you? Okay. <laughs> I'm making up. I, I'm eating crow as we speak, so. All right. As a reminder, this broadcast is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation online at stupidcancer.com. We help young adults fight cancer every day and are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs because it's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. <coughs> Man, I'm a wreck. Sorry about that, folks. I'd like to uh, welcome all our friends to yet another fun and exciting romp to the hands tonight's stupid cancer show where remission is not a cure. 
and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Keo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. The Stupid Cancer Show also has a live interactive chat feed during each broadcast. There are 35 people in there right now. Yucking it up, we invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, ask questions of our guests. And I'd like to welcome our in-studio special guest, Melinda Hood. Hello, Melinda. Hi. Welcome to the uh, chemo deck. James Manning, returning champion. Hello, James. How are you, Matt? I'm doing well. And Susan Moser, our uh, attorney extraordinaire, young and a survivor. She will be on the show in three weeks. Two weeks. Three weeks. 23rd. Yeah. However far that is. All right. So anyway, I'm going to give everyone a round of applause. I say I walked into this room and my throat went nuts. I'm going to say it's Sabia's fault, but I won't say why. Oh. <laughs> Inappropriate. Inappropriate. My, my parents are listening, Matt. That's okay. Hi, Anna's parents. <clears throat> Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Brower. Brower. Anyway. Um, normally, this is the time when Lisa and I sort of chit-chat about what's going on in the world and catch up on all things local, what's been going on. Um, since last Monday, it was Mother's Day. Did uh, the four of you have a, a Mother's Day experience? I saw my parents yesterday, which was exciting because they live in Michigan. Wait, you were in Michigan yesterday? No, they were in New York. Okay. Sue? Uh, I played golf. With my mom and my grandma and my sister, which was lovely. I would say that's a successful Mother's Day. It was. It was successful. Very successful. Mel? I got to call my mom because she lives in Vermont, but I'll see her in a couple weeks when I go home. And James? And I went home to Nashville and had a great weekend, except getting back was kind of a pain in the neck. Well, it looks like we all connected with our mothers. Uh, My wife, now a mother, again, for the second time in a row for Mother's Day, we... um, had a hard time remembering Mother's Day last year when the kids were born because they were seven days old. And things were slightly hectic, as you can imagine. Anyway, a happy Mother's Day. <clears throat> happy belated Mother's Day to everybody out there and uh, to all of our friends here on the network. What else is in the news? Anything else? Engage me in conversation, people. Nothing? News. Cricket, cricket. Wow. We, we talked about Bin Laden last week. Yeah, uh, Bin Laden's over. That's, he's so... But they were, they were he's dead, in fact. Yes, he's very dead. No, he <laughs> is, but who is going to get this reward money? Have, have, have I, it, You know, I saw this thing where they had the $50 million bail right, or whatever it was. Right. They should go to the victims of the families well, or something. Well, that's the proposal. Absolutely. That's the proposal. It's funny that like they remember that now. Like, <laughs> yeah, all, well, No one seemed to care that it was $50 million on his head. Yeah. Well, oh, but it, it takes a while to realize what just happened. I mean, that's a pretty big event. Yeah, it is. It's huge. There's uh, massive intel coming from the compound, though. I like the fact that he dyed his beard and watched himself on television. <laughs> He's an American. <laughs> He's a narcissist. Um, he liked what? What was it? Nestle or Netflix yeah? And or wasn't it Saddam ridiculous? who liked Doritos, and that's how they got intelligence from Saddam before they hung him? Right. Exactly. Yes. And the um and they had Coke and Pepsi delivered to the compound. The compound. Yeah. Good stuff. Is there cancer in Pakistan? And why didn't he get it? Isn't he cancer? <laughs> He himself is yeah. the definition of cancer. He was 54 on dialysis, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But you don't need to have cancer to be on dialysis. <laughs> no, I know that. I know that. But like, fun just fact. A, a little fun fact of the day. 
health lesson out there. <clears throat> anyway, so um, I guess we'll, you know, just get started. Why don't we jump into it right now, and we'll announce Anna Brower officially in her Survivor Spotlight. And Anna is going to get this song. Do you have the time to listen to me Why? As I hack through the bio. <clears throat> Anna Brower was diagnosed at the age of 12 with stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma. She was successfully treated with chemo at the University of Michigan in the town of Ann Arbor where she grew up. She moved to New York City where she attended and graduated Barnard College and was I2Y's first ever intern. True story. She did the White House presidential advance after graduation and is now back in in New York City working for the city. As a 10-year survivor, she also serves as co-chair of the New York City Planning Committee. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the one and only, Anna Brower. Hi, Matt. Hi. (coughs) I'm a wreck. Yeah, are you? I was fine up until this point. You were, you were. I really was. I don't know what happened. No, I, I don't. I know what happened, but I can't say it on the air. That's a little terrifying. <clears throat> Seriously, inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Well, no one knows what I'm talking about except you, so that's okay. And, and oh, Xavier. <laughs> but not Anna. Anna has no idea what I'm talking about. Neither does Xavier. It's you know. It's a good thing I think that this. Episode is not being filmed because I'm bright red. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Your parents are so proud. Anna now. has no idea what's going on. Anna plays ignorant. Anna knows nothing. She was the monkey with the hand over her ears and her Here eyes look. and her mouth at the same time. <laughs> That's good stuff right there. Anyway, long story short, when you have no saliva from radiation therapy, um, you get dry very easily when the air is dry. So that is why I'm coughing. Anyway, wow, 50 people in the chat room. You are popular, Brower. What can I do? They're all there for you. I bring the crowd. Every one of them. You bring, bring the, crowd. the crowd. All right, so let's go through this now. You were 12. I was. I uh, had just turned 12. What was that, like sixth grade or something? It's sixth grade, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And you were bubbly and feisty and doing your thing, and mm-hmm. what happened? Well, uh, so I had gotten sick. I had bronchitis. I had cold. I had bronchitis. Kind of didn't get better. Um, you know, they put me on antibiotics and I still had this cough. They gave me a temporary inhaler. Um, and, you know, my parents will say that I sort of really lost a lot of energy and I was tired and draggy, which is really not. Um, any, you know, anybody who knows me now can say that's not how I am now, and it certainly isn't how I was then. And so my parents just kept, you know, they said something isn't right. So went back to my pediatrician, and, you know, they did more tests, and they said, okay, you know, we'll, do, we'll take some blood and then... Um, on a Tuesday, they did an X-ray, and they saw something that didn't look right, and they thought actually maybe it was tuberculosis, um, and they had been thinking maybe it was mono, so they did the X-ray, and they thought it was suspicious. And on the Wednesday, they did a CT scan, and actually, I learned later that at that time, when they got the CT results back, they knew it was probably 85% chance that it was cancer, but... Um, they, you know, since I was in peds, they told my parents, and they, they didn't tell me until they were sure. Right. Um, and so on Thursday, they did a lymph bi- lymph node biopsy, um, and I was. Is it, that an inpatient procedure? Um, no. Well, no. I mean, no. I went in and came home. Okay. The same day, and then um, 
I was diagnosed, and Friday I started uh, chemo. So you kind of like almost got lucky in a sense. It happened very quickly. Right. But even right. though it was stage four. It was stage four, um, and it was everywhere except for my bone marrow. Wow. Yeah. Well, we have a special guest calling in to say hello to you. Oh. So please welcome to the show, visiting live from North Carolina, Lisa Bernhardt. Hey, everybody. Hi, Hi Lisa. Lisa. Hi, Matt. Hi, Anna. Hi, James. John Hi, and the crew. Yes. I'm sorry I can't be there. Miss everybody. We miss you, too. How is North Carolina? Uh, it's actually absolutely perfect. I'm looking out at a gorgeous sunset. It was a clear blue sky today. Um, but, Matthew, what's going on? I hear you got, you've got some throat clearing. you got some uh, some health issues going on. Yeah, some atmospheric disturbance in the room tonight. Hemispheric disturbance in the room? Yes. I see. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. That's the usual diagnosis for you, right? <laughs> I am my own atmospheric disturbance. <laughs> well, I'm sorry about that. But um, it's fascinating for me to actually be a listener to the show. It's interesting. I don't is think it, that I've ever... Is it that bad? <laughs> <laughs> Lisa called to save us from ourselves. Yes. No, she called to save all the listeners. Yes. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, where's Lisa? I'm leaving. No, but but Anna, you do bring it. Fifty fifty uh, guests in the chat room. Yeah, that's not right. too shabby. No, it's great. It's very cool. I'm happy to hear about everybody's uh, Mother's Days and um, that all uh, that all sounded. This is actually this is this is a show I'm interested about. This show because I don't know. I know very little about the cancer camps coming up, um, and I can always learn more about Anna Brower. But uh, she is, is an uh, endless endless mystery. She is. Wrapped in a wrapped in a <laughs> wrapped in, in a rabbit yes. yes. And she's just a little slip of a girl, but she packs a lot. Yes. It, you she, should have she, seen what I ate for dinner tonight, Lisa. We ordered Thai food. <laughs> I, I didn't just I didn't just mean that the, what you're capable of eating, but that too. Oh. <laughs> your your brain power, your everything that you bring to the organization, um, it's uh, it's tremendous, and. Um, Again, I'm sorry I can't be there. We've had a, I've uh, on vacation down here with my beloved and beloved uh, in-laws who have thrown me a little. I've got a big bad birthday coming up tomorrow, so they threw me a nice uh, dinner tonight and some gifts, and uh, it's uh, it's a it's a lovely thing. So I will see you all back next week. Have a wonderful time. Give my best to the crew down there in North Carolina. Happy I birthday, will. Lisa! And okay. happy, yes. happy, happy, happy birthday! All right, thank you. And I, I can get off the phone with no age jokes, huh? Um, I'm going to hang up now. Oh, run. <laughs> Don't run. plant the seed. Don't plant the seed. Bye, Lisa. All right, guys. Have a great show. Lisa Bernhardt, everyone. Happy birthday. Happy 30th birthday for the 12th time, 8th time, 3rd time. For the 3rd time. There we go. Fantastic. Anyway, Anna at least wanted to call in to wish you well, of course. She's sorry she couldn't be here. But we were discussing how you were, even though it was, Diagnosed relatively quickly, from like the day they like, oh my god, this is real and it's a surgery. It was still stage four. Yes. Why is that? They don't really know. Um, you know, they have some guesses about how how fast it grew, um, or you know why it, why it grew, but they you know they're really they really don't know. Um, I don't have the family history. You know, there wasn't the environment. I'm sort of just one of those. Just got it. 
Um, and I was treated actually um, on an experimental protocol. So, you know, we talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago on the show. Um, so I was the seventh kid in the country to receive my uh, my treatment. Seventh? Mm-hmm. It was um, the, none of the drugs themselves were new, and the, the actual protocol had been used on adults, but it hadn't been used on children before. Wow. And how old are you now? I'm 23. So this was 11 years ago. Yes. So December is what I consider my cancerversary when I ended. But so I 10 years and four months. Right. I was diagnosed just about 11 years ago. Wow. Good for you. Thank you. That gets one of these. That doesn't just get the regular applause. That gets a big applause. I've been waiting years for that. Yeah. Not years. Now you know why you're on the show. <laughs> Anyway, I actually owe you a tremendous apology on air to our hundreds of thousands of listen- listeners. Um, you came into this organization almost by accident. Like, like you randomly found this random internship that I was, like, hedged on a bet to put out there that we couldn't get an intern. And you've never been a guest on the show. It's true. Yeah. But you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, Matt thought I had been on the show, everyone. No, well, it's not that he didn't know it. He didn't remember it. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> that's true. I did, well, if you can you not remember something you didn't know in the first place? But you knew it. We're going to get all philosophical here. I know. <laughs> you knew she wasn't on the show because you've been on the show every show, and she has never, so no, you I knew was, she wasn't I on had the show. thought she was on the show <laughs> as a spotlight, but I had forgotten that I didn't remember that she, that she remembered that I forgot. <laughs> What I didn't supposed to know that was in the first crystal place. Crystal clear. Yes. Crystal clear. <laughs> the preeminence of knowledge is ignorance. I'm so lost. Yes. I'm getting all Sartre and Camus on people right now. That's where we're lost. Yes. Where's Lisa? I need Lisa back. Please help me. Um, so, yes, a formal apology to the entire universe on your behalf that I dropped the ball. You should have been the Survivor Spotlight. The very first day you were an intern, if only to as potentially negate the foot-in-mouth disease I'm suffering right now. <laughs> well, it's okay, though, because since I started interning, I've done a lot of really cool things. Yes. Well, you almost became employee number two. I did. Yes. I did. But you went off uh, when you graduated from uh, Barnard to do something a little, a little different. Yeah. What was that job? Well, I um, went and did uh, White House presidential advance. So um, essentially, uh, the when the president and the vice president um, and the first or second lady uh, travel outside of Washington D.C., um, you know, they don't just hop on a commercial jet, go somewhere and hang out. As you might imagine, there's a team of people that prepare their visit. Um, and that team is the advance team. So I was on the presidential advance team for about six months after graduation. Um, and I was traveling around preparing trips for the president. So it was a pretty awesome experience. So what you're saying is that you'd rather work for the president of the United States out of your suitcase than me. The, if he's the only person I would rather work for than The you. only person? I will I will accept that answer. Well, good. Yes. <laughs> well, and, you know, I knew that you had such a worthy worthy candidate in Kenny Kane. Yes, Mr. Kenny Kane, who's not here tonight, 
He is uh, in the chat room, uh, and uh, I am mucking it up with our our crew, I guess, there. He's doing his job. But, yes, Kenny was in the wings. Kenny was an intern number two. You were intern number one. It's true. And I, guess, I like to rub that in his face. Yes, yes, you can do that anytime <laughs> you want. But, you know, Kenny is now our VP of operations, and uh, you are now uh, co-chair of the New York City Planning Committee, which True. is, for our listeners out there, a young professionals uh, so, sort of a think tank society of intelligentsia who execute plans, strategize, and deliver the most amazing programs and fundraisers this organization could ever hope to have had. Like Stupid Cancer Karaoke at the end of the month. Stupid Cancer Karaoke. That is true. Yes, and um, Sabia is going to be there. Yeah. My fabulous, my fabulous co-chair Sue. Sabia, by the way, is uh, John Sabia, who runs our multimedia here, uh, Hillside Media. If you've watched any of our videos from the OMG Summit or our documentary films, John Sabia gets all the credit all the time, every day, nonstop. Mr. John Sabia. <clears throat> I'm so giving anyway. you an internal round of applause, Sabia. Internal, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So, Anna, let's see here. You are now 11 years out, roughly. We talk a lot about childhood cancer survivors and that, I, I mean, I'm a child cancer survivor. I was diagnosed at 21, but I was still pediatric. Right. Late effects and quality of life and the perception of cure and all this money being raised for X, Y, and Z. Do you have a specific opinion on sort of the, I guess, the maybe the uh, isolation you feel as a long-term childhood survivor or the lack of support you would like to have or what you wish you would have had? Well, I think, you know, when I was in treatment, um, a couple of things. Well, first of all, I did go to cancer camp. So um, I was really excited that this was my episode, and I'm I'm very excited for the panel later. Um, And I think, you know, when I was in treatment, even at that age of 12, um, sort of being a little bit older and really understanding what was going on and being an active part sort of of my treatment. Um, and, you know, that was something, you know, I was sort of on that edge where I was forced to grow up so quickly. Um, I didn't even feel really at that age that there was a, you know, I, I remember saying that, like, I wanted to talk to other people my age. And on my on the pediatric floor, there were a lot of little kids and there were some sort of older teenagers, and I didn't really feel there was sort of a preteen group. Um, and then, you know, it's like I had a really very, very supportive community. Um, but coming back into middle school was extremely difficult. I think, you know, I sort of all of a sudden, my biggest worries weren't, you know, my hair, I didn't have any, right. and weren't boys and weren't you know, Titanic, which came out at that time. We were just talking <laughs> about it. Um, you know, it was my my blood cell counts and, you know, you know my mouth sores and, you know, staying awake throughout the whole day. And right. I think, you know, we all sort of talk about these things and, and going back to school and trying to start, like, bringing my life back to that sort sure. of focus of, of the teenager was very difficult. And then I think, again, when it really hit me with college, um, because going to college health care right. um, and college health clinics is one of the most difficult things that I've ever had because to do. Because they have no concept of what it is to be a long-term childhood cancer right. survivor when you walk in the door. Right. They'll treat you like everyone else. And they, and, right, and they ask you every time. They, don't, you know, they, don't, they somehow don't retain information in their systems. 
They must be men. I mean, <laughs> you know, so it's like every time they ask you these same questions, and I'm like, like you pulled up some sort of file on your computer. Like what? What's not in there that I told you last time? Like I, so that sort of when I came to college, you know, at that point I was five, six years out. That sort of started bringing it all back, and that's when I got involved with I2I. And again, going go take me back to that moment where you um you wanted to apply for an internship. Yeah. Well so Matt, I don't mean to call it your memory, but it happened a little differently than you said. No, I know. <laughs> I don't know anything. I plead so, ignorance across the board. So what happened So re educate me with what I'm supposed to not okay. know. So what happened was that someone some friend of yours that it was not Dewey, but it was some friend of yours who who is a lawyer posted about an internship for him. Dorfman. Yes. David Dorfman. David Dorfman posted about an internship on the Barnard Job Board and said that he worked with this organization for young adult cancer survivors. And I thought, and I I was like, this is really cool. Like right. I'm a young adult cancer survivor. I don't really know any others. And so I wrote to him, and I was like, you know, I'm not like really interested in doing law, but like, what is this blah blah? And he wrote back right away, and I said, I'm a you know I'm a survivor. He wrote back and he said, have you heard of this organization? Like, I'm too young for this. Check them out. And he sent me the website and the Facebook group. And so I um, joined the Facebook group. And at the time, I don't actually know if you still do this, but at the time you sent, like, this stock message to everyone who joined the Facebook group. And, like, I, I didn't, you know, I thought you I were, remember those days. That's yeah. right. Well, the welcome message. Right. And so, like, I didn't know. I thought I was getting this personal message from, like, the founder of this organization. <laughs> like, I didn't know it was, like, a copy base. And you said so, and so I wrote back, and I I said, you know, hi Matt, it's really great to meet you. You know, I live in New York, and something looked perky and probably really kind of annoying. Shocking. And <laughs> and so you wrote back and you said, if you're in the city, you should come to the radio show one Monday. And so and not be in the spotlight. <laughs> yeah. So and this was back in the day, not for those of you in New York, not when the office was what this current studio is, but like the office before, which was half the size of the current studio. I mean, this was like. Like you think this this studio you is small? the office that was the hole on seven yeah. by the by the service elevator. Yeah, that yes. office. So we like, come a long way. So I was like, okay. So and I was like, I can't come this money. I'll come next money. I'm like thinking this is like a huge deal. I think I like dressed up and I like came, and it was just like, I fell in love and I you know we ordered dinner and um, Scott Slater was there. Scott Slater, yeah. And because he was on the show and a couple other people were there and um. We listened, and afterwards I came up to you. It was summer. It was July. And I came up to you, and I said, do you do you need an intern? <laughs> and you said, we've never really had one before. And I was like, I'll be your intern. And the then funny I just thing started is, coming. Like, I, back then when I used the word we, I meant me. Right. Now when I use the word we, there is we. Well, you so and, you've you seen the transition yeah. of we. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you and I give you full credit, you've. You saved me for myself. I've said this in public. I've said this in private. You really did an amazing job. You you proved to me, and I'd say this without any glib, that you youngins, you 20-something college kids, can really be amazing. Wasn't that the point of your organization to begin with? I know. <laughs> but I, I didn't know it. I believed that before. I didn't know. I had no idea. But you know what I think it is? You know, and All right, let me say something potentially controversial. And you counterpoint. Does having cancer not necessarily make you a better person, but perhaps mature you a little earlier than normal to be more of an adult at a younger age? Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think, 
you know, I don't know if you get cancer in your mid-30s, if you've already sort of grown up, but I think getting cancer when you're 12, I mean, absolutely. I think that I grew up in a way that I definitely wouldn't have at that age. I mean, I think I, just, I had to face things and I had to face realities that, <clears throat> that you know, I that I never would have faced. And I think that sort of no one wants to face ever, let right. alone at that age. So, long story short, wrapping up the interview, we'll get, get, get to the news, and you're you're here the whole night. You can chime in any time. What would you say your message is to other long-term childhood cancer survivors that may not know about, not necessarily us, but may not necessarily know that it's possible there can be other people out there just like you? I think that um, having had cancer as a child sort of becomes part of you um but i think that it's important to realize first of all that your long-term side effects are not necessarily just things that you have to live with right i think that there are things that um are treatable um and i think also that you might not know that this community is something that you want to be a part of or be involved with and it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be a part-time job for you like it is for me, even right. though I love it. Um, but it's worth checking out because you might not realize there are, what a connection you're going to make. Fantastic. Well, thank you for finally being on the spotlight. Thank you for having me. And accepting my fallibility as a human being. <laughs> and just because my throat is messed up, I'm going to have you read the news. Oh, my goodness. Maybe you and Sue can go back and forth. Okay. Why don't you... Uh, Swap paragraphs. I'll tell you when to start. <clears throat> All right. Let's get to the news here, folks, and we'll bring out Dave. Where is the news here? here Hello, go. I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Hold on. All right, folks. During this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. And they're all just for young adults with cancer, and they're all free. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, suite of support groups, and more, and karaoke. So if there's nothing coming up that you'd like to spread the word about during this part of the show, please send us an email to info at stupidcancer.com. That's info at stupidcancer.com. You're up. All right, head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. And we've got Stupid Cancer events coming up in the the, the 2011 OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults. Oh, no, hang on a second. I I messed that up. I have to announce the local events. Stupid Cancer Karaoke. No, it's... Happy Hour in North Carolina, May 10th. Super Cancer Boot Camp in Buffalo, May 21st. Happy Hour in San Diego, May 26th. Karaoke in New York City, May 26th. The Super Cancer Ungala on June 9th. Uh, Super Cancer Boot Camp Chicago on June 23rd. The 2011 OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults may have just ended, but we're already gearing up for OMG 2012 in Vegas. If you'd like to help contribute to the planning, email info at stupidcancer and visit omg2012.org. The Stupid Cancer Forums have more than 600 members chatting in discussion groups for patients, survivors, and caregivers 
and even young adults whose older parents or younger children are sick, plus a forum for boomer parents whose young adult children are sick. Visit supercancerforums.com, sign up with one click through Facebook. Want to help but don't know how? Join the Stupid Cancer Street Team. It's free. It's easy. Win great prizes, build our grassroots efforts, and meet thousands of authentic fans from around the globe. Sign up today at stupidcancerarmy.com. Oh, every Tuesday, our parents of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society present YA Connect, a free interactive webcast supporting young adults affected by all cancers. Check it out at lls.org backslash YA Connect. I2I is pleased to partner with Cancer and Careers on the first ever national conference on work and cancer, Friday, June 17, 2011, in New York City. Topics will include job search, legal issues, health insurance, working during treatment, and more. Visit cancerandcareers.org backslash conference. And as always, be sure to register yourself with Immerman Angels, our partner in one-on-one peer matching at immermanangels.org. And check out the calendar for First Ascent, the premier young adult outdoor adventure organization. Visit firstascents.com. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. Thank you, guys. I'm getting old. You're going to have to wheelchair me in here one day. All right, it is time for our very first guest tonight. A man who needs no introduction, but I will read his introduction anyway. Dave Smith has been the CEO of Special Love since 1987. It is a community of support for children and young adults with cancer and their families in the Mid-Atlantic region. In 2012, he will take over as president of the Children's Oncology Camping Association International. It's a big deal which is a worldwide affiliation of pediatric oncology camps that seek to promote the benefits of camp for kids with cancer. In addition to his work supporting cancer patients, Dave is an avid musician and has written recordings for camp, including No Mo Chemo and I'm a Survivor, both of which are available for download on Special Love's website. He has three sons, lives in Winchester, Virginia. Please welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, my friend and yours, Mr. Dave Smith. Dave. Hi there. Good to be with you. Pardon my raspy sickness. That's all right. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm enjoying the show. I have to admit, I didn't read your bio until right now, but that's pretty amazing. You're getting the bump up to the to the the COCA. That's that's a big deal. No, yeah, well, I, you know, you hang around a group long enough, you run out of excuses. So right. <laughs> the last time they asked me, I was, you know, speechless. So. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of a guy any more well-deserved for the job, so congratulations. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a challenge, but uh, there's good folks in charge now, and they're kind of stringing me along. So, <laughs> As long as they're stringing you along, that's fine. <laughs> anyway, um, since 1987, is that when Special Ed was founded, or is it you took over afterwards? Um, I started getting paid in, in uh, 87. We we actually founded in 83, and I was a volunteer, actually, was lucky enough to be on summer staff at the facility that most of our programs are held at, and I was just a, a 19-year-old with no idea what I was going to do for a living, and uh, in walked Tom and Sheila Baker and asked our then center director if he knew how to do the camps we were doing for 4-H kids uh, for kids with cancer, because he'd heard about a, a, a camp in New York that was doing that, and he wanted to do something in the D.C. area, and uh, he said, it looks like you've got camp down. Now, if you can just add doctors so that the kids with cancer can go, then uh, we've got a winner. 
that was in 82, and in just a year they started Camp Fantastic as the first official program of Special Love Incorporated. Special Love, of course, what I got get paid to be the CEO of. Um, so I was on I was on summer staff anyway and volunteered for the first four uh, four years. And just a year out of college, no idea what I was going to do for the long term. Uh, the bakers came back to me and said, we, we're ready to pay somebody. Uh, are you interested? So it's all about being in the right place at the right time. And have you been personally affected by cancer, or this was just something you stepped into that you thought was a just it meant so much to you for the right reasons? Well, I'll tell you, I was uh, I was running 4-H camps uh, when when this all started, and of course I just thought one kid was the same as another. When they mentioned kids with cancer, I had no idea what to expect. Uh, in fact, like most first-year camp counselors, I was just terrified that something was going to happen on my watch, and some poor kid was going to you know stroke out or something and it would be my fault but what I quickly learned was that there really is no difference between you know quote unquote normal kids I don't use that term anymore and kids who are being treated for cancer because they're just kids they uh, they happen to, to get medicine once in a while so they can go back to what they're doing you know what they enjoy doing and otherwise that's what they really want is a chance to feel normal and do normal things and that was the whole uh, the mission behind the original Camp Fantastic and all of Specialized programs we started the young adult program in 86 because we quickly found out that you know once you turned 18 you still needed needed a chance to get together and bond uh, but you didn't necessarily want uh, you know magicians and clowns showing up you really wanted something more laid back and a, a chance Speak for to yourself just... dude <laughs> well i use clowns in a very loose term but um, <laughs> so anyway that's that's how yak which is short for young adults with cancer that's how that got started back in 86 it was just a chance for the uh, the older teens and young 20s to get together and, and uh, keep reliving the magic of being together with people who understand what they're going through. Uh, and that's, of course, been going on now for, you know, 25 years. That's pretty innovative that you had a young adult-specific program like 25 years ago. Yeah, it's uh, hard to believe, of course. You know, I was obviously very young when it got started. Otherwise, I would, would be a lot older than I am now. <laughs> but uh, back then, we just didn't even think about it. It was just a, an extension of camp. You know, camp was good for teenagers. Why shouldn't it be good for, you know, 18, 25 and up? So, um, one of the interesting phenomena so we do we do about 14 or 15 programs a year now and yak uh, remains one of our most popular programs but what we've discovered in the last uh, I'd say five to ten years is that uh, while we still get a lot of uh, you know 18 to 25 year olds who are you know pretty typical normal you know I guess activity range um, and they want to play sports and you know throw a frisbee and so on we're seeing a lot more of the uh, the late effects and the long-term effects among our, our audience, and, you know, I find that there's an equally strong audience of young adults who've either had cancer for so long that, uh, you know, that, that they're suffering long-term effects, or they've had it recently, but have it more, I guess, uh, you know, it's made a bigger impact on them. But uh, I find, we find that there's a growing audience who can't necessarily run out on the football field, you know, they, they would almost rather be inside or just sitting in a lawn chair talking, um, because they have some significant needs. And so we've we've begun to see a need for that to develop more of that focus in the last ten years. So so talk us through the use of the word camp. It means different things to different people, and I don't want people to think it means one thing or the other. Camp is not like camp. It's not like is yeah, it but, tents? Is it is it uh, guitar in the woods? Is it you know? Is I it, do play guitar, so be careful with that stereotype. <laughs> No, we, we have, I went to camp for 17 years. I know all about camp, but yeah, I want to no, know, like, this is real camp. 
Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it's not real camp, and for some people that's a relief. So for some people they may, you know, be disillusioned to know that there's a bathroom in their room and that they have a, you know, a bed they can sleep in. Um, no, it's actually when I say camp, we're talking about, you know, the fact that you're out in the into nature, you're doing hiking and swimming and canoeing, uh, but you're really we use uh, conference centers. Prim, our primary site is the Northern Virginia 4-H Center in Front Royal, Virginia, but we also use the Jamestown 4-H Center, which is where. This year's Yak Weekend is going to be, uh, by the way, June 10th through the 12th. Uh, it's on our website. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, we also use a ski resort in Canaan, uh, West Virginia. Uh, and so it's full amenities. It's heating, air conditioning in most of the lodges. Uh, it's, and that's in part because for the week of Camp Fantastic, you know, I think we probably get the sickest kids of any oncology camp in the country. Um, and that's in large part because we have a partnership with the National Cancer Institute who are willing to bring whoever they need to and, and provide whatever care they need to to make sure that every kid who wants to go can. So there's many amenities, in part because of the needs of some of our more acutely ill kids, but also because, uh, uh, you know, it's great to be out in the, in, the uh, in nature, but it's also kind of nice to have a nice cold, cool bed to sleep in at night. Now, over the course of the years in, in uh, needs assessment and survey analysis and seeing the impact you're making, have you decided to create different camps based on different uh, diseases or different uh, needs or sexuality or whatnot? Well, we you know, we still deal primarily with cancer. I mean, some of our kids have multiple diagnoses, but there's a cancer factor in there somewhere. But you're right. That's exactly how we went from a one-week camp in 1983 to now we have about six family camps. We have three teen young adult camps. Uh, we have two sibling programs for just siblings. All of those came out of, of uh, discussions we had with hospital social workers, with parents. Uh, when we started our BRASS program, which stands for Brothers and Sisters, that was because the parents were telling us that you're you're doing wonderful things for our child with cancer, but now his brother and sister are acting out in school or at home. You know, they're basically becoming behavioral issues because that's the only way they can get the attention that the sick brother or sister is getting. So it was those things, or when the uh, the hospital workers said our teenagers enjoy camp, but they'd really like to bring their friends, not their family. And so we started a program called Fantastic Friends for 13 to 17-year-olds where they can bring a friend who doesn't have cancer because for them, that's their support network uh, in many cases. Now, once they get to camp, of course, they make such close friends with other teens with cancer that that just supplements their, their circle of friends. Do you like to use the term adventure therapy? What do you think of that term? Um, I don't know. I, I tend to, to shy away a little from the word therapy in general because I think when you're talking about camp and, and getting out, having fun, and kind of you don't have to forget your cancer, but it becomes such a common denominator that it's no longer the focal point of your conversation. It comes up inside conversation, but in a you know in a very complimentary way, not a stop the conversation like an elephant you know, took a dump in the living room. Um, so I, I don't like the word therapy, but on the other hand, there's no doubt whatsoever that, that camp is very therapeutic. In fact, um, you know one of my one of the uh, topics I'll be discussing when I become president of COCA is the fact that uh, COCA is trying to get together a um, you know a research project that spans across multiple camps to just bring together all of the information that's been going on in uh, by camp by camp basis uh, that proves the camp has an enormous therapeutic value. So 
and we do a challenge course. So obviously we have a lot of adventure-based initiatives and team building. Um, like I said, if you use the word therapy or if you just observe the fact that it's interwoven into everything we do, uh, you know, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. So again, I'm going back to this notion of like, are there people who don't understand the need for what you do, or is it a pretty obvious common denominator that these kids who go through these situations and their siblings and their friends, it's so valuable to them. Do you ever have to worry about explaining why you do what you do to people? I seldom have to explain why because uh, most people, even if they've never had cancer, that you know, there's still that, uh, you know, that, like I said, the conversation-stopping element about it, that people realize that it's a significant need. What's interesting is I think sometimes you have to convince uh, young adults or, in the case of children, their parents, that it's okay to go away to camp, that, A, it's going to be safe, but, B, uh, you will make friends and you won't feel, you know, like a third wheel because I think it's very common feeling among young adults especially that they're the only person in the room that, you know, that they stick out. And that is never true at camp because it's the one thing everyone has in common and nobody has to talk about it or bitch and moan about it. It's a, it's a common denominator. So it's something that you can just say, oh, so you had, uh, you know, been Christine too, and then you can compare war stories. Or, you know, you lost your uh, your leg as well. Is it, you know, what type of amputation it was? Because in that case, people can talk you know, intricacies. They don't talk in general terms. You know, either you lost a limb or you didn't. That's pretty much what the what the general populace thinks. Right. They you, can actually drill down. Matt, sorry to interrupt. Quick question. Yeah. Um, do you ever find that there are people who, uh, even if they come to camp, shy away from those types of conversations about their diseases because even though they are at camp and surrounded by people who may share similar stories, they still don't want to be defined by their illness? Sure, sure, and I think that one reason why it's uh, sometimes a, uh, an uphill battle to convince uh, teens and young adults to get away to camp is that, you know, I think generally there are a couple types of, of reactions to your cancer. One is you want to think nothing of it. You want to forget it. If you're, you know, fortunate enough to get past it, you never want to be reminded of it again. Uh, and then there are those who, who just feel like they're so defined by their cancer that they're afraid if they go away that uh, it'll just be another environment where they've got a target into their chest. Um, and I think both audiences discover to their to their joy and amazement that once they get to camp that there really are a lot of nice people out there who don't define themselves by their cancer. And so, you know, I think they draw, no matter which corner you come from, you draw strength from the fact that, uh, you know, everyone there has a lot, has enough in common that I call it a, a club where the initiation is pure hell, but meeting the other club members is uh, one of the biggest perks you'll ever have. Now, you mentioned a word before, which is a very relevant word, safe. As a new parent, I worry about my kid, you know, being given to my mom, let alone being put in, you know, going to camp. You know, I, and obviously when you're dealing with, dealing with medically fragile children, uh, I assume you have nurses on staff or things are medically supervised. You have kids that are possibly neutropenic. Or do you only accept, like, um, are certain camps for just, Newly diagnosed or inpatient or immunocompromised, and other are for like long-term survivors. No, we get uh, we get the whole range. We we uh, we get about a third to forty percent of our kids are on tr active treatment. Uh, many of them get their treatment at camp. They're not even in uh, in between phases. And then we get about uh, I'd say another quarter of them who are within that first year where they're still it's still very fresh in their minds. And the rest are between two and three and occasionally a little beyond three years of treatment. So 
you know, they serve as the role models for those kids who are still in the thick of it. As for their parents, I have three kids, and, uh, yeah, I can't imagine sending them down the street to a sleepover, let alone uh, for a week-long camp. But that's what, that's how we started the family camps, because we found that once parents get to camp and meet some of the staff and realize that uh, their kids will be safe, but more than that, they'll be overjoyed to, during their time at camp, then they realize that it, it's not only safe, but as I was talking with a mom Friday at a fundraiser, said that once she got over the feeling that she needed to be parked in a tree somewhere with a pair of night vision goggles watching her kid, that she needed that week away, that uh, it was as beneficial for her to, to be able to let go and, and breathe again as, as it was for her child to learn that independence. So it's you know ironic that some of our teens are in that same boat. They don't have the independence either. They've been treated for cancer so long that uh, you know, they just haven't had the time to become independent again. Now, this may be like an obvious question, and I want Anna to chime in as a, who was a teenager when she went to camp. But what kind of response do you get? I mean, clearly we know empirically you change lives and friendships are made forever and lives are altered permanently for the better. But what type of actual, you know, clinical or psychosocial surveys do you use and how do you quantify for, like, the, 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 the grant nerds? want to know the stuff on paper, uh, the impact you're having? Well, we've got, as I mentioned, there are several camps out there who've done studies. Uh, one of my good friends, Brian Crater, runs the uh, Ronald McDonald for Good Times camp out in L.A., and he was part of a study uh, that, that proved beyond a doubt that kids who go to camp have higher self-esteem, they have a, uh, you know, a, a better outlook, um, I guess, mind frame. In other words, they feel like they're going to do better, that uh they found that compliance increases. Kids who are, you know, resistant to taking their chemo because they just don't understand that if that's what, what they need to save their lives. When they get home from camp, they're more willing to do that. Uh, you know, we've had, we had a kid who came to camp after nine months of living off a of PPN in a tube, you know, basically liquid food, who had a hot dog on the second day of camp. And he, by the time he got home, he never went back on the uh, IV net, uh, food again. He, uh, he was eating solid food for the, for the long term. So, it, it, you know, camp has... Not only, I guess, empirical evidence that it's beneficial, but frankly, the anecdotal evidence would would dare anyone to disagree that that's the case. Because uh, another case, we had a, a teenage girl who was at camp, and at that time she was on a, a morphine pump that self-administered, and I think she was taking uh, 30 to 40 boluses a day. In other words, you know, give her give herself that many doses of pain meds a day. And when she got home, the day she got home, she was down to about six or seven. And uh, she never never went back up again. So that's amazing. You know, yeah, it's, it, there's there are a lot of great stories out there. And frankly, I one of the reasons I'm still doing this after you know, 29 years as a volunteer or a staff person is that you know I come into contact with so many other communities uh, of young adults. You know, there's a, a group at uh, George Washington University called Buzzing for Change that does a head shaving for us every year, and they have all come together for kids and young adults with cancer. And like your group, IQI, has been, uh, is, is serving a niche that nobody else serves. And yet, as a complementary group of, of services, you know, we provide a pretty wide array of services. And, uh, you know, that to me is so, so satisfying that uh, it's one of the real built-in values of what we do. Well, you're hired, for starters. Uh, and, <laughs> I'll uh, make up a new theme song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess... Uh, my my last question be, we're running out of time my last question to you is seeing how I, I'm a big fan of this this is sort of like if I had to have um, 
a stump speech or a soapbox on top of my existing soapbox, it would be late effects. Long-term childhood cancer survivors really don't, rarely, I would say, rarely, I don't know, grow back into their lives as if nothing ever happened. And the more progress we make in, in treatment and cure at that age group, the ones that then now live, the 90% that live on average to their 20s and 30s, have all these complications. Do you think that this country is aware that the young adult movement also includes long-term childhood survivors who are sort of left out of the progress that's been made once they turn 18? Well, if you ask, I mean, if, it's, if I have anything to do with it, they, they will and they do, because when I speak now to groups, I tell them, you know, that first I'll dispel any notions you have that cancer is a terminal illness. Uh, I'd say that, frankly, it's barely more terminal than life itself because we've gotten to a point, as you said, where we're 80 to 90 percent success rates, at least in a general sense. I said, uh, you know, the sobering news is while the doctors now are giving you your life back, it's not the same life you would have had if you hadn't gotten cancer. Right. And so we're, you know, as we program for the future and as our Yak Weekend goes forward, you know, we face the very real challenge that it's not the same Yak Weekend that, that it was back when we were dealing only with teenagers who had cancer and were still in the thick of it, but otherwise we're pretty healthy. Now we're, we're seeing seven- and eight-year-olds who are, you know, 15 years later are dealing with, have never gotten full mobility back, have never gotten full cognitive ability back, or are, have had, you know, recurrences or even new unrelated cancers because of their treatment. And that's what I tell people uh, you know, when I first started this business, it was the thought that some of these young kids were going to pass away during their chemo that, that saddened me. Now it's the fact that I've, I have uh, young adults who are going to survive, but they're going to survive with a very real struggle and uphill battle ahead of them. Well, that, that was the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. I, I don't think there's a wrong answer, but I, I yeah. can't thank you enough for doing it. This is actually your second time on the show. I would love to... I mean, I have kids now. I have too many responsibilities. I would love to come to a camp or see a camp or get involved in some way that I can. I I am a uh, alumni of uh, Can't Make a Dream and Planet Cancer and Mini Pearl. So I don't just walk the walk. I've been to these camps. I know what they're like. I was a young adult when I was going through them. I was not a long-term ped, but I recognize the inherent value it has on changing your life, giving you some sort of sense of your space in the world, for for most, it's the first time they're felt like they're not stigmatized by anything and anyone, and you just leave feeling like you've been reborn in the in the least religious sense of the term. Yeah, well, and I tell people, you know, if you, you're skittish about coming to a camp because you're afraid you'll be surrounded by sick people, I said by the time you leave, you'll you'll find out that they're the ones full of life. You may yes. feel a little sicker because you're, you know, because of what your attitude before you went in, but. That's one reason I'm so excited about being participating in COCA at a high, such a high level because, you know, I was at a weekend retreat last weekend with a couple of camps right in your backyard, uh, Camp No Worries and uh, Camp Happy Times are probably with practically walking distance of you, and, you know, you're welcome to be a fly on the wall there because uh, we're all doing a very similar mission, uh, and I think that we all do it in different ways, but we're all coming out with the same, same effect, uh, which is, you know, kids who come to camp, crying because they don't want to get on the bus and leave mom, and they come back from camp crying because they don't want to come home. 
Well, I'll, I will leave you with uh, you have a, a special guest that just called in to say hello. Um, Bobby Gurel is on the line. Bobby? Yes, hi. Am I on, on the online? Yeah, hello? Dave. Uh, Bobby called in to say hi. Hey, hey Dave. Bobby, what's going on? One of our hey, siblings, Andrew himself a musician. Yeah, actually, uh, I just wanted to say hello. Um, first and foremost, I want to thank Dave for everything he's done for uh, me and my family. Uh, just a heads up, my sister actually went to... Uh, Camp Fantastic, and let me tell you, she absolutely loved it. She looks forward to it every year, uh, and even now I'm actually a member at Brass Camp. Uh, I've been doing it for about, you know, 12 years, I think 1999. So, anywho, uh, you know, it's, it's a fantastic camp. We, you know, I look forward to it every year. I know a bunch of a bunch of us do, and we, we keep in contact, and I just want to tell Dave thank you for everything, and, and uh, I'm, I'm so happy, and congratulations on uh your new job and everything, <laughs> and I can't wait to see you uh, this summer. Well, how about Bobby? Your check is in the mail. Thanks, Bobby. Yeah, sounds good. Take care. All right, Bobby. All right. Apparently, you're you're very popular, Dave. I, I gotta oh, get in on what your what uh, Kool Aid you're drinking there. Yeah, with one person anyway. Uh, yeah. Of course, I knew when you said a man who needs no introduction. That's code for <laughs> I. He doesn't really deserve one, but. <laughs> well, you but take anyway, care I yourself. The opportunity. You too. Yeah, all right. Dave, I, I'm so proud of you guys. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing. It's God's work. Good good for you. You too, Matt. Keep up and the good luck work. on the promotion. Dave Smith, everybody, from speciallove.org. Speciallove.org. Check them out. And now it is time for our... And I'm playing this song because our next guest is very tall. <laughs> and he's still standing. I'm like your first guest. Dave was tall, but Jeff Eaton... No, me. Oh, yeah. You were the opposite of Jeff Eaton. Alrighty, welcome back to the show. Jeff Eaton is a two-time cancer survivor, the founder and executive director of Young Adult Cancer Canada, a father of three after two bone marrow transplants, a recent recipient of the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, Queen, Queen's Golden Jubilee, and Hope Awards for his work on behalf of Young Adult with Cancer. Jeff has shared a story of hope and inspiration with over 65,000 people across Canada, which I believe is their entire population. Please welcome Jeff Eaton to the Super Cancer Show. Jeff! Matt. Hello, Jeff. Matt. I love you, bro. Yes. Nice background music, too. I really like that. I got to give you credit where credit is due. You're like nine feet tall, aren't you? Uh, I'm not quite nine feet. I remember I'm meeting out of my you the hairline. first time. My brother reminds me all the time. <laughs> no, I remember I met you for the first time, and I like my, my neck snap. So... But uh, I congratulate you on three children. I have two, and you beat me. So that's uh, an astonishing accomplishment. I can't imagine how you sleep anymore. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, the greatest blessing in life, without question. It truly is. I can I can now wholeheartedly agree with that, with every yeah. fiber of my being. Yeah, you said it. So how have you so been? How are you, man? I'm doing great. Okay. How are you up there? I I could not be better. On a lot of fronts. I am uh, definitely as busy at home as I am at work, uh, but things are really fantastic. I want people to understand that your organization is like the gold standard by which I was looking at. How do you organize people? How do you do it the right way? And I want you to talk about your story quickly, getting diagnosed with AML. But was it AML? Did I say that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, Acute myelogenous leukemia, is that correct? You got it. And but what inspired you 
because I feel like a kinship with you as nonprofit founders of small young adult nonprofit founder club. You know, there's so few of us out there. Talk us through your diagnosis. Talk us through the anger you went through or whatever the emotions were that charged you up to actually grab this by the cojones and do something about it. Yeah, I mean, I I was um, like many people who would be listening to the show. Um, for me, particularly, it was I was 22 years old, just out of university, where I studied business. Uh, had started my own little um, marketing company while I was in school, and uh, you know, a week before I turned 23, diagnosed with AML, like you said, and I had a whole bunch of chemo and a bone marrow transplant from my dad. Um, and after I actually had a, was uh, gotten. An infection in my hip and line ended up in ICU. I was there for a month. Super sick. Never expected to leave. Came out of that, and uh, I think in particular the ICU experience really kind of enhanced my reflection on what is going on here with me and my life and, and this you know unexpected challenge that has arrived on my doorstep at 23. So I started um, what was real-time cancer at that time. Now we refer to ourselves as Yak. And... Um, I got to be honest. I mean, a, l- a large part of me starting something was, I think, me trying to make sense of what I had just gone through. Um, you know, I had been 18 months before I was able to get back to any level of work, and I really didn't quite. I mean, I had done a lot of processing, a lot of blogging before there was a blog and the email group and stuff. Um, but I still really didn't understand what it, what was this was all about. And I, I say it was a you know it was dealing through doing, and uh, that's what where where my initiative came from is really I've had this incredible experience. It's been challenging and really crappy, but it's also been really beneficial and valuable. And um, I feel like you know there's some value in trying to use this to help other people who are going through the same thing. So that's really where it came from, man. And and uh, it's been a we're going to be 11 in June. Um, so you know we've we've had some great milestones. I will say that we really have. Um, I take a lot of credit for giving this a little push at the beginning. Um, since then, uh, and I know you can relate to this, you know, it's been a cast of hundreds and thousands that have helped us get to this place. And um, we, you know, as, as many of the milestones as we have hit along the way, I know right down to my new bone marrow that our best is yet to come. We have such a massive opportunity to make some major change that we really, uh, it's very easy to get up and go to work every day for me. And my wife jokes with me about that all the time. Well, there's an old saying, like you want to find a job you love and never work again. Yeah, I can really relate to that saying. I, I really do. I mean, there are, there are some parts, I will say, not many, fortunately, but there are some parts of my job that are, are not uh, as exciting. But um, I have no trouble getting up and going to work every day. I really that's, that's the truth for me, for sure. Now, you have a degree in business, correct? That's right, yeah. Did that come I was in raised handy in a small all? business environment. Sorry? Did that come in handy at all when starting a charity? Yeah. You know what? I think it's the exact same thing. And I, I do get an opportunity to speak to a whole bunch of different groups, depending on the on the audience, you know. And and lots of them are business students or business groups, and and it, it's the same stuff. I mean, the the only uh, I think there's a couple of major differences, but um, you know, one of them obviously is that we don't want to have a big pile of money in the bank at the end of the year um, that we can tuck away and go on vacation to Bermuda. We want to have a whole pile of programs that we've delivered in the run of the year. Um, so, you know, aside from that, all the other, all the other uh, things apply. The other part, I think, for me anyway, I, I was never that smart and, and never that uh, great a student and never had a real love of the classroom. 
I wanted to learn by doing things, and that's how I do learn the best. So for me, while I did learn a lot and, and definitely grew a lot during my business degree, um, the biggest learning curve for me has just come by getting out there and doing it and you know, learning from the school of hard knocks, so to speak. That, as cliche as that is, it's, it's, it's my university, and uh, it's taught me well. So what was the very first program of real-time cancer back in the day? Way back, first program was an education program for students, uh, high schools and junior highs, talking about cancer, making them aware of it, and making them also looking at things like life challenge and and how they can use uh, some of the tools that I use to to go through and handle those challenges, like your attitude and your perspective, um, like your support systems. Um, the, that was the first program we did, and it, it really, you know, I mean, I, we were only a lo- around for an or- a year as an organization, and I had a relapse and had a second transplant. So, I mean, for the first three years of our life, um, it was definitely me trying to figure out what we were going to do, what we wanted to be when we grew up. By '03, uh, I had locked into something that was, you know, clear for me, and and really, it was around at that time, um, recognizing that there really was nobody else in Canada doing what I wanted to be doing on a national level right now. So because nobody was in that space, uh, we felt then it was it was the most logical space for us to chase, and that's what we've been doing ever since. And you've since grown now to thousands of members, if not tens of thousands, correct? Well, I mean, on the web, we have, we've got a incredible traffic on the web, um, especially in the last year plus, but our web traffic is, is substantial for sure. Um, most of that is driven to, to the profiles and articles written by survivors. Um, and then the face-to-face events, we started in 05, and um, they have you know, taken, I think, the, our understanding of the impact that we make um, to another level. Just, just being with people face-to-face, obviously, uh, is a whole other experience. The web is a, is a fantastic medium to connect us. Um, socially networking as well as just general for information purposes and uh, it's great but it's never it's never going to replace the face-to-face contact so we've been doing you you invented the cancer conference for young adults didn't you you had the uh, the retreat yourself how many years old now retreat yourself is uh, since 05 so we're we're six years into that seven years into that now Um, we've done a bunch of them I don't know eight or nine or ten of them um we've you know we've done a lot of learning with those uh, i wouldn't say we invented them by any means but uh uh we i know we were certainly among the first to do them in canada but we've we've had some excellent big brothers and sisters uh just to our our nation neighbor to the south who've you know been doing some awesome things and have allowed us to tap into and learn from uh you know i'm an alumni of of can't make a dream as well and i had just a, a truly amazing experience there and um, we've really been trying to build, I think, a, a holistic package of programs to help young adults um, and through a whole level, a whole vari- variety of levels of involvement, um, as well as a whole variety of stages in their experience with cancer and life. So, you know, w- we look at our program continuum, starting with, you know, low level. I am lost, and I want to connect with someone. I found this website. Check it out, read it, never come back. That's all I needed to do. Thanks. Right. See you later. It's not for yeah. me or whatever. And then we we take that all the way up through um, the in the involvement in the web, local programming, regional programming with retreats and national programming, through to the survivor conference, where for us it really changes in uh, the focus of our programs. Really changes to be not just about cancer, but really more about life. 
and how do we help survivors you know use this experience uh, to pre- propel them into uh, a better place uh, for the rest of their life. Um, so that's really how we've been focusing for the last six years as we've developed these, each of these programs. And now our focus really becomes obviously a continuing commitment to renewing and improving those, but really it's about growth of those programs now, so doing many, many more of them. And you know, so that's, that's where the shift in uh, focus a little bit for us comes on. We've got a really solid offering of program now, now, as revenue increases, uh, and it is, you know, it's nicely increasing, but we want to accelerate that a little bit so we can take, you know, from two retreats this year to four and then eight and then 12. Because we know the population's out there. Though. We don't have the 70,000 roughly in the U.S., but we've got 7,000 young adults in their late teens, 20s, or 30s every year in Canada diagnosed. And the vast majority of them are going to deal in isolation. And I know I'm just preaching to the choir, you know, all about it. Right. What would you say would be the largest disparities between our two countries within the lens of this this movement or this need? Is it does the insurance issue play less of a role up there, or are there still costs associated with or debt associated with those things? Yeah, you know what? There there definitely is. I I'm I'm going to speak you know perhaps out of turn, but I saw a, a clip in the Globe and Mail, one of our national papers here by. Um, Oh, uh, Michael Douglas was up here pra- singing the praises of the Canadian healthcare system last week, and I, I felt, felt like jumping in and saying, you know, those who don't know the Canadian healthcare system will sing its praises because you kind of are a peripheral observer from outside, and you feel like up in Canada it's all free and everybody's got what they need. Right. And, and that is, that just is not the case. Uh, it's not the case. I mean, uh, without question, there are some significant advantages of being in Canada. Without question. Um, but the reality is there are some major obstacles of this system as well. We have, you know, what I might say is mediocre care for everybody. Um, and, you know, perhaps some might describe the American model as the best care for those who can afford it or those who have the right drug plan or the right medical plan. Um, you know, so the young adults don't often identify finances as the number one issue. But we have observed, um, certainly from time to time regularly, that It'll rate as a top five issue, for argument's sake, for everybody coming to a conference. Really? No one, no one would say it's number one. Like, what's you know, you do a ranking of your issues, and we kind of get an assessment of where everybody is. Uh, very few will say it's, it's the number one issue. But if you go across the board and you look, it's on everybody's radar. Now, we haven't done research into it. I'm curious about this, though. You know, does that is that a typical response you're going to get from any young adult, regardless of whether or not they've had cancer? You know, is that the rite of passage of your 20s and 30s? Is that you're going to struggle with your finances? It, perhaps it is. Yeah. Um, but my That's suspicion answer, is that without question, anyway. young adults. Yeah. Sorry. But, you know, I think young adults in, in Canada definitely have a major challenge with finances. I know personally, I did. Uh, you know, I, when I relapsed, I didn't have medical insurance anymore because, of course, I was 24. My insurance company said, "See ya. You're done. We are out of our hands, and you've got cancer, so we don't want. We're not interested in you as a client." And I had a $10,000 bill attached to my second round of cancer um, at the age of 25 with no income. You know, that's, that's, that put any young adult back uh, several steps in their financial planning. I think that shocked Americans more than anything else to hear that you had to go into debt in Canada. You look, you're right, we live in a little bubble over here thinking that everything's perfect up there, but it's not perfect. It may be better in some cases, but clearly you can go into debt from insurance issues. 
Without question. And yeah. It's not, yeah, I mean, absolutely right. That's definitely the case. And it's not just about the, the treatment costs either, as you know. I mean, I had a, a transplant in Toronto the first time, and I had one in Ottawa the second time. You know, you got I moved to Toronto for three months. I moved to Ottawa for a month. There's a, a lot of expenses with picking up yourself, and, you know, in this case, it was my mom and dad at that time. And, you know, there's there's a lot of expenses related to to treatment that are not just drugs related or access to hospitals or whatever the case may be. So finances are definitely there. And I think for young adults in particular, because, you know, we're in a very precarious situation, you know, many of us would have student debt. Um, many of us would be just starting a career or, you know, not even in a career yet. And then the insurance issue, even in Canada, can still be a challenge because, you know, a, a lot of the, the medications certainly and a lot of the, the newer drugs are outpatient therapy. And in Canada, that's not covered for the most part. Right. What would you say um, would be the most, if you could pick a milestone achievement in the last couple of years for Yak, what what would you say, did you get to meet the government? Do they know you exist? Have you been in like a national news? What what, what would be the largest sort of public accomplishment that you, you could probably say? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think... The advocacy piece is something I, I will say that we've uh, personally I've kind of pulled away from a little bit in the last three or four years, just because there's you know you're a small organization there's only so many things that we can do and, and I felt that my attention was pushed uh, better in other directions. Uh, without a doubt, we will get back to that in a very significant way. I think when the time is right for us and our network, I, I think the the single biggest accomplishment we have is you know having the several hundred come through our face-to-face program and the, the you know, the tens of thousands that go through the web. Um, just being here for those people is definitely our biggest accomplishment. And the, the impact that we've been able to make in um, those those lives who have come through one of our programs or many of them. Uh, on the public side of things, I think, you know, we'll, we'll look to push the agenda of young adult cancer a little more aggressively. Like I said, as we get a little more established, it's almost like we do these things in cycles. Um, we've had some real nice wins on that, I think, and, and we've got a really great network of health professionals across the country that cover every province in Canada. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll focus on continuing to grow that and, and leverage that and, and use it uh, to our advantage and to the advantage of, you know, the 7,000 young adults diagnosed next year and the year after and the year after as we go on down the road. You are very articulate and make me sound like an idiot, so I'm going <laughs> to thank you for being so articulate. I'm very impressed with everything you've accomplished. Like I said, we're only four years old. You are many, many, many years older than us, and you set the bar. You really did set the bar, and I, I thank you for setting in motion what gave birth ultimately to what we do, and I think there's just a lot of tandem karma between that, and I know we have a lot of friends and fans that interact equally. I don't think young adult survivors pick their charities. I think they just like everybody versus the older groups that are like, I'm only doing this or I'm only doing that. It's just... We're so small, we have to rely on everyone, and we all do good things for each other. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think the, you know, the Young Adult Alliance is a great example of that. And it's, yeah. uh, it's a place where I've missed out the last few years. But uh, it's, uh, you know, there's a, the Young Adult community, specifically the cancer community, I think we've got, we've got a lot of momentum. And uh, we are, you know, we're all on the same side. And I, I think that uh, regardless of what place you have in, in this this movement, um, you, what you just said is absolutely right. We're, we're not picking and choosing who we're going to support. We're going to we're going to we're in this together, and we're going to move it forward together. Well, Jeff, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show tonight. I'm really, like I said, I we're broken record here, but I think what you guys do is amazing. I'm so excited that we have a relation with you guys, 
and uh, good luck with everything in the future. And we're going to get you out to Vegas for the OMG Summit next year, guaranteed. Yeah, that would be super good. And listen, man, uh, our retreat and our Survive and Thrive expedition is full this year, but we would love you to keep hyping it and anybody check it out because we'll have more program coming up later in the fall and next year. We will promote whatever you send us. Yeah, don't worry. You'll be hearing from us. Okay. You take care, and we'll get you back up to Canada sometime soon. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff Eaton, everybody, from Young Adult Cancer Canada. Their website is youngadultcancer.ca. That's youngadultcancer.ca. Good stuff. Anna, I just want to get back to you. We missed your slot before. Briefly tell us about your camp experience and what that meant to you. Oh, well, I went to Camp Special Days in Michigan. Um, I also think it's funny about the naming of cancer camps. You know, like... Just calling it the cancer camp? Well, no, no, like special days, make a dream, rainbow, fantastic, you know? It's like the Band-Aid on cancer. Yeah. Anyway, so I went to camp special days, um, which at least at the time was um, for... (laughs) kids with cancer and they had a sibling week. I don't know if they've since uh, grown, but, um, and it was, you know, I think what what they were talking about is that it was a place to see other kids with cancer that wasn't the hospital. Right. And that's what was so enlightening. And then it was just camp, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was camp. We had, we had archery, we had swimming, we had, you know, like outdoor, you know, like we had the zip line and the other adventure things, um, right. and it was great. And that that was that was the first place and really the only place that I met kids my age right. with cancer. And I went after treatment, um, but there were kids that went who were in treatment, and we had full um, oncology staff that would come. And but it, it was, was really great. Transformative. Change yeah, your life. I went for four or five years. Wow, wow, very nice. Yeah. So there you have it, folks. Cancer camp is awesome. Whether it's adventure therapy, if you don't like to call it that, you can call it retreats, excursions, just time away. Calgon personified. No one knows what that means except me. Anyway, I would like to thank our guests. It's time for our closing sequence, and here we go. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All righty, folks. That's tonight's show, our 184th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our guests, the in-studio audience. Melinda Hood, James Manning, and Susan Moser, and our special guest, Anna Brower, the lovely and talented Dave Smith, Jeff Eaton. Next week's show is called Cancer in the Cleek Lights. We've got a very special young adult artist, singer-songwriter, Valari, breast cancer survivor, who will be playing one of her tracks. Pamela Murphy, young adult survivor of breast cancer, author, actor, comedian of The C Word, and Namatra Singh Gujal, writer-director of One a Minute, the documentary film about Indian cancer, or cancer in India, either one. If you missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on the on iTunes, at iTunes.stupidcancer.com. Check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, our whole team here at I2Y, have a great week. And I'm supposed to say good or bad to the entire Brower family. Have a great week, folks. Bye.